It is well with our souls. It is well with our souls. Whether we're sitting in the pew at New Village Church, or you're at home, or you're sitting in your car, or you're at work, or you're in the grocery store, it is well with our souls. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you so much. So we're just going to open in a word of prayer. We want to lift Mr. Williams up. I know that he was in Mather, I believe. I don't have an update, but keep praying for him. Uh, pray for Nick Camelloni as he is traveling and uh, picking up one of his children at school. Uh, pray for David, who's home, uh, who has a sinus infection. So we just want to keep people in prayer. We want to keep the world in prayer. We want to keep all of us in prayer. So let's go to prayer. Father, Lord Jesus, help us to remember, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Help us to acknowledge you, Lord Jesus, in every way. Help us to draw closer to you every day. And may the world and may our friends and may our family see us as individuals that are not perfect. We need help. We're all a mess. We know we're a mess. But may in our mess, in our anxiety, in being afraid, help us to draw closer to you. May we bow the knees of our hearts and our minds and our souls to you. We love you, Lord, so much. Thank you that it is well with our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So thank you for being out this morning. I'm just going to um, open up with something that I was um, studying. Well, of course, we were in Philippians. We're in chapter 2. And uh, I'm not really a big sports fan. I'm kind of like one of those fans that I'll go to the Met game and I'll, you know, I'll eat the popcorn and I'll eat the hot dog. And um, I kind of lose interest in the third inning or something like that. So um, I'm not really a big sports fan. But one of the things I remember from my childhood um, or my teenage years was 1980. The U.S. team, Olympic team, was playing the Russians in the Olympics. I don't know if anyone remembers that. But their coach was Herb Brooks. And Herb Brooks uh, had this team of an average age of around 21. So he had all these players that were in college and they were just, I said, a mess. They probably all were a mess. And so much a mess that they were so talented and so gifted. But there was one thing that kind of was in their life that he could see. They were in it for themselves. They would say, who do you play for? And one player would say, I play for Boston University. And the other one would say, I play for Michigan. And they were separate in their thoughts about who they played for. So they, they start to come together as a team, and they're getting ready for the Olympics, and they're going to play Goliath. They're going to play Goliath. They're going to play the Russians, who is undefeated, and they never lose. So you have this young team, and I tell you, uh, Rob and I, my son, went to a hockey game. We're baseball guys, and we go to a hockey game, and my, one of my clients gave us tickets, and he sat us by the boards. I have never in all my life seen a sports event like people... First, the fans are crazy, but then you have the hockey players who are banging into the boards, and you have these players that never stop. They jump over the boards, and they, they uh, relieve the other players, and they come in, so they're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Amazing agility. The, the uh, athleticism is unbelievable. So he has this team that is talented, as I said, and they're 
not all together, but they are moving ahead towards the Olympics, and they play the Swedish, I guess, team, and they tie them. At the end of this game, they tie them. They're so happy. But Herb Brooks says to them, you're not going home. Get out on the ice. So he has the team line up here, and he has the two coaches stand here. And he said, you're not going home. You're happy about tying? And he had the assistant coach blow the whistle, and they skated from this end to that end after playing a whole hockey game. May not sound much for us. Maybe it might not make sense to you at all, but they are exhausted. He does not stop. He keeps blowing the whistle and blowing the whistle until they are throwing up, laying on the ground, and the coaches are saying, we have to stop now. Someone's going to wind up in the hospital. We have to stop. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep having them go back and forth. But because Herb Brooks was the coach and he kept saying, go ahead and do it, the other coaches listened to him. Finally, after they're laying on the ground, as I said, throwing up, I mean, probably an hour or an hour and a half has gone by and one player, one player gets to his knees and he yells at his name. And Herb Brooks says, who do you play for? And he said, I play for the United States of America. He had never said that before. It had always been their own name. It has always been their own team. They, he said, thank you very much. Good night, gentlemen. And he walked out of the stadium. They realized at that moment that they were a team and they were playing for something much higher. You relate that to us and our spiritual life we are not playing for ourselves. We're going to read Philippians about servanthood, what it means to be a servant. We're going to learn about Paul, about Timothy, Epaphroditus. These men knew who they were serving. They knew they were serving God. So in the midst of, of having to travel from one place to another, it could take them six weeks, and Epaphroditus almost died, they could do it because they knew who they were serving. And I need to know who I'm serving. We all need to know who we're serving and why we're doing this. Otherwise, we're going to get up and we're going to quit and we're going to leave. And that's what some people did on that team. Some people didn't make it through that whole team. And they quit because they, they didn't understand that they were playing for something higher. So if you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read through the Scripture. I'm going to start at verse 17. I may be poured out. I may be poured out that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father? He has served me in the gospel. 
I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me. And I trust, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for, near, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray one more time. May you take your words and hide them in our hearts that we may not sin against you and help us, Lord, to see you wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So you have Epaphroditus who was able to go to Paul and almost died on the way there. And he sees Paul, and Paul is, Epaphroditus is going there to give him a gift from the Philippian church, and he gets to Paul. And we have the book of Philippians today from the service of men that we're going to read about today, for Timothy and Epaphroditus. And again, they're doing service that may seem mundane. It doesn't seem like the greatest thing. We wouldn't even really know about Philippians or have this book unless they did what they did. But it wasn't as if they were you know, out in front and standing out there so everyone could see and everyone cheering them. They were doing the work of ministry that was very difficult and very hard. And they weren't doing it for themselves, as I said before. They were doing it for Jesus Christ. Said this trip that goes from Philippi to Rome took about six weeks. Do you know that six weeks could turn into three months, though? Three months, if all didn't go well in their travels. So I want you to take a moment. Take a moment and just think about all the service God has had you do in your ministry for him. Just think about the things that God has had you do over the years you've been a Christian. And think of the things that you really, really love to do. And think of the things that you really, really did not like to do. And you know, none of those things are in vain. The things you liked, things you didn't like, none of them were in vain. They were all for service for the Lord. And God used them. Trust me, he used them. First point that we're going to speak about this morning is that servants for Jesus. See, I said in that story about the hockey team, who do you play for? Well, who do you serve? So servants of Jesus Christ are joyfully poured out on others. Paul joyfully poured himself out on others. And that's an Old Testament term. So he's saying, even if I'm poured out on your faith. So he's saying, I am being poured out like a drink offering. It's an Old Testament term. When they had a sacrifice, they also had a, uh, a drink offering that would be poured out on that sacrifice and it would go up. It would go up a beautiful aroma to God. So he's saying, you Philippians are like priests. 
your service and your ministry to God is your worship to Him. And even if I'm being poured out on your faith, I'm so happy. Paul sitting in prison and he knows that his end is coming near. He pretty much thinks it's not right at that moment. He knows he's probably going to be able to see them again. But he's saying, I'm being poured out on your faith, what you are doing for the Lord. And don't miss it. What you do for the Lord is an amazing worship to Him. What you do for God is to say, God, I love you and I'm not doing it for anybody else. I'm not serving God for the pastor. I'm not serving God for the elders. I'm not serving God for anyone else. I, what I do, I do for you, Lord Jesus. It is all for you. Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When you serve the Lord, you are worshiping Him. So what do we, what do, we do in our day that we're living with everything that's going on? So we have the coronavirus. We have our world upside down. I tried to go and get eggs at Stop and Shop yesterday, and I found a carton, but half the eggs were missing, and it was the last carton that was there. The cool thing is that I have a lot of friends at Stop and Shop because my work is part of their store, at least one of the branches that I work for, and he was behind the counter. He goes, Mark, come here, come here. I said, yeah. He goes, what do you need? I said, well, I felt funny asking because I don't know. I, I, I actually took me a couple of seconds to actually say, I said, I whispered it so no one could hear me. I was like, I need eggs. <laughs> he goes, okay, I'll be right back. This guy didn't come back for like a half hour. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, where'd he go? So now I'm standing there pacing back and forth. He was so happy to help me. He was so happy. He came out with this gigantic, uh, like 18 eggs. And he gave it to me with a big smile on his face. That is amazing in the midst of everything that's going on. And I thanked him so much. We should all be doing that. Do you know worshiping God and serving Him can be a smile? A smile in the midst of everybody going, ah! I mean, a smile holding the door. Emma and I were able to go on a trip with her school and one of her students, I'll, I'll never forget it because I like to do this, but he kind of jumped in front of me and did it. He actually opened the door to the restaurant we're going to, and he just let everyone keep coming in, come, come in. I figured, all right, five people went by, he's going to move. Five people went by, he's going to move. He let all of, <laughs> wherever we were, he let everybody in, and he wasn't moving. He was showing people, I care about you. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be first. And I think that's what God's saying to us in the midst of what I read to you in Philippians. We do not have to be first, especially if you are serving Jesus, because what did we read? What have we learned in Philippians? Jesus Christ, your Lord, did not have to be first. He lived his life here not being first. He lived his life. He hung on the cross. He did not grasp being God. He didn't hold on to it. He let it go. He let it go for you and for me. That's his service. So when we live our lives, and trust me, it's not an easy thing to do. I want to be selfish. I do. That's the first thing that comes to my mind usually. No, it's mine. No, I want to be first. Especially if it's a food line. I mean, I know I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I want to be in the, be in the beginning of that food line. 
Because by the time I get to the end of the food line, it's all like, oh, you know, everyone's been in it, and, and, and it, half the food's gone, and the good stuff is gone. I want to be in the front and get the hot food. That's what I want. I want to be first. And I don't know if you want to be first, but I know I do, and I know God came, Jesus Christ came here saying, I'm not going to be first. I'm going to be last. I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to love you. I'm not only going to do that, I'm going to give my very breath, my very life for you. And now that we live in a society that social distancing, everything's going to change. Everything changed overnight. And we have to live with that. But our spirituality, our relationship with God cannot be distant. It needs to be close. It needs to be strong. I have one of my brothers, and I love him to death. I love my brother, but he has always been one, my older brother, who has been distant. He just lives his life as being distant, and we had to laugh as a family because he knows it. And he wrote, social distancing. I have been preparing my whole life for this. And we laugh, and it's funny because he's saying, look, I know who I am. And I know what I'm like, but please, as a church and as a body and New Village Church, we cannot do that. I have this thing called Meniere's, and it, 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 it's an inner ear disease, and it's really been affecting me lately, and it comes out of stress and anxiety. does not help it. And when I get it, I cannot think straight. I just can't. I do the stupid things, and it's like I should take this, but I take that. And I thought about that this morning. The world is doing that. They're not thinking straight right now. And we should be the lights, as God said, we need to be the lights of the world, pointing people to him. One of the biggest things we could do, and Paul talks about this, let your attitude be like that of Christ. This is said before, this has been said before, but I believe it, it needs to be repeated. Chuck Swindoll wrote this, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. The attitude to me, is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. Attitude, it will make or break a company. It will make or break a church. Attitude will make or break a home. The remarkable thing is we all have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We all have a choice. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play in the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And it is so with you. You are in charge of your attitude. Paul wrote this. I am acting with great boldness in 2 Corinthians towards you. I have great pride in you and I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Paul's attitude was sitting in a prison with someone changed to him, 
And he could have had a completely different attitude. But his attitude was to say to the person next to him, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Let me tell you about my Lord. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. One of the biggest things Paul says is, but in a couple of verses that are coming, verse 19 in the chapter, he says this, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. So our attitude as Christians really need to be, I mean, you could just have a great attitude, but if you don't have Jesus, then that really doesn't, that's not going to help you too much. He says, but I trust, I trust in the Lord Jesus. That was his attitude. So our attitude needs to be that we trust, we trust in the Lord Jesus. One of the things that Paul really knew in his attitude was who God was. So as we are living our lives and we leave here today, and we go back into the crazy world, we worry about our families, we worry about our children, and that's what we should do. But as we pray for them and care for them, this is what we need to do. Paul knew who God was. And to stand on the attributes and the characteristics of God. If you know who God is, you can trust in Him. God is a personal spirit. You know, everybody staring at me right now has or can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He loves you so much, He wants you to know Him on a personal and intimate level. God is all-powerful. Trust me, there's nothing in this world that God cannot handle. God is all-powerful. God is ever-present. He is everywhere all the time. God knows everything. We need to be standing on who God is. God is a personal spirit. He's all-powerful. He's all-present. He knows everything, and He is in control of everything. He is sovereign. You could trust in Him. You may not be able to trust in me. You may not be able to trust in the people that are sitting next to you. You can trust. You can trust in God. He is sovereign. And God is holy. He is absolute truth. God is righteous. God is just. And trust me, God is love. God is love. We are His church. And the world will know us by our love. They'll know us by our love. Stephanie said before that Lighthouse Mission not closing they're not going to close and she said something that really struck me she said because how else are the people going to get food they will know us by our love and what we do because they could easily close no we don't want anyone coming here we don't want to get something but they are staying open god is faithful god is faithful and god never ever ever changes So if you have anxiety this morning and you are worried about everything that's going on, I don't blame you. I am right there with you. But I would say is that I know that God is in control and he will never, ever, ever leave you. And I would say Paul's words, pray without ceasing. I would pray without ceasing. Just continually pray to him and he will be with you with your thoughts and everything that's happening. Speaking about thoughts, Our second point is, if you are a servant of God and you're serving Him, you will genuinely, listen, you will genuinely care for other people. One of the things they had on the news 
in Italy. They've really been hard, hit hard by the coronavirus. And uh, I was watching CNN, and they played a video of an Italian city where everyone's on lockdown. So they can't go out. And if they do go out, they go one at a time. And when they meet somebody, they have to be a meter apart. So they played a video, and it was an amazing video because it was a, an apartment building. And every person in that apartment was sticking their head out the window. And every person was singing the Italian anthem. That they were, and they were all laughing, and they were all smiling, and they were all there for each other. That is how they were taking care of each other. That they were building each other up. Paul wrote, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek for their own, not just the things which are Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. You know that in Philippians, joy is mentioned 19 times, but also the mind is mentioned 15. We need to renew our minds every day in the Lord through prayer, reading the Bible. We need to be like-minded. He was saying, literally, that him and Timothy were one-souled. That they were one-souled. They were knit together. That they were kindred spirits. And we have that with each other, don't we? We have that with each other because Christ, the Holy Spirit, lives within us. I went to Indiana and I was visiting with my family, visiting my son. And I got to meet a pastor who was asking to be the pastor here. I met him for 10 minutes. We sat down. We talked. And I was like, there's something about you. There's, I could, I'm sitting there. I'd never met him before. I'm in a different state. We traveled two days to get there, two days to get home. I'm sitting there. I never would have met him before, but I'm sitting there speaking to him. And I'm saying, there is like a kindred spirit here. It was such a cool thing to be able to see. There's a gentleman that goes to uh, First Baptist and uh, he, he works on uh, vaults and he's a Christian and he always comes to my, my bank and I always see him, we always talk. And we're standing in the floor last, on the banking floor last week after he was fixing the vault and uh, we were talking to each other and we're going back and forth and we were just talking and I just realized we were both saying, if we die tomorrow, we both will be in heaven like-minded, kindred, and you turn around and you can see the people on the bank floor just kind of looking at us. I mean, it's, it's a neat thing to be able to have that with each other, with your family, with your spouse, with your children, to be able to be on the same mindset. So Emma had shared with me a poem a Christian poem, spoken word. And in this poem, it speaks about redwood trees. So Linda and I, when we went on our honeymoon, we went to, um, I'm going to call it the Redwood Forest, but I don't think that's the name of it. It's in, <laughs> it in California, Muir Woods. And we, I like the Redwood Forest better. And we went in there, and we looked at these gigantic redwood trees. I mean, these things were so huge. They're gigantic. Do you know they could be two thousand pounds 370 feet high some of them not 2,000 pounds sorry 1.6 million pounds 
they're 2,000 years old. Got that right. Do you believe that? It doesn't sound right, but that is. They don't fall over. And do you know why they don't fall over? Because their root system only goes six feet. That doesn't sound right either. But their root system only goes about six feet deep. How in the world does that keep up a redwood tree? And what happens is the redwood trees are pretty close together, and their roots do this. They hold each other up. That's why you see a gigantic redwood tree. That many pounds, that high up, it's not going to fall. It's not going to go over, and you will not go over if we are doing this with each other, if we are knit together and like-minded, especially when things like this happen in our world. And again, it's, it's the simple things. It's you calling somebody up on the telephone and saying, how are you? Is everything going okay? That's how we do this. Simple things like that. What's your day like? How can I pray for you? Listen to this. Just listen to the quote by Alistair Begg. He said, It is impossible to serve God without serving another. I already told you I'm selfish. I already told you I, I want to be the front of the line. It, and we are so busy. You're all paying your bills. You're all paying your taxes. You're all getting out of work out of bed in the morning going to work. You, you're busy. I know you are. You live in New York on Long Island. You are up to here with busyness. But it could be those simple things. Knocking on someone's door. We had the stomach flu years and years ago when the kids were little. And I remember Dave and Tracy Moore knocking on our front door. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, Linda, but they brought her uh, raisin brand cereal because they knew she liked it. And they opened the door, and we were just all laying there with the stomach flu. But they cared enough, and I'll never forget that, that they were there. And all the people looking at me, all of you have been there for our family over the years, and that's what he's talking about. But the sad thing is, not everybody. Paul says it here. He says in the Scripture we just read, not everybody will care. You know, we also have a horrible saying at work. I don't like the saying, but it, it goes, nobody is your friend. People say that. You know why they say that? Because they get to realize that over time, everybody is in it for themselves. And nobody is your friend. That could be nothing further from the truth in the church of Jesus Christ. We need to be knit together. We need to love each other. And we need to be each other's friends. And we have no greater friend and the Lord Jesus who died for us and gave his life for us. I love this. We have this in our, uh, in our house up on the wall. The, f the second part of this verse. The first part, Joshua is saying, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. So he's speaking to people who w weren't sold out for God. They had d undivided hearts and they weren't in together. But he says, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. It is horrible. Not everyone will care. 
Let me just read you something from Jody Erickson Totter. Because she realizes that there are times when you're uh, a Christian, you're not going to care. It says, nothing compare, and I love this because I love to camp. It says, nothing, it's from 2 Timothy chapter 1, 6-7. Nothing compares to the coziness of a snapping, popping campfire in the morning by a misty lake or a rushing stream. And when you've got coffee percolating and baking, sizzling over the flames. I could just smell it right now. Well, it's a little slice of heaven on earth. In the evening, when you come back to the ashes, there are usually a a few glowing coals that can be coaxed back to life with fresh fuel and a little blowing on them. Before long, you've got a roaring campfire. It's the same with the Spirit of Christ in our lives. Today's scripture reads, Fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a suggestion. It's a command. Flame into the fire the gift of God which is in you. You must certainly do this, or the flame within us will flicker, fade, and die. Look for those sparks, those glowing embers in your soul. If there is the slightest glow, the faintest hint of faith, take heart. It's not too late to catch fire. Lord, please find the coals in my heart and blow on them. Restore the bright flame of your presence and your joy. Forgive me for letting the fire burn low. Help me to use the gifts that you have given me for the good of your people just because I know it pleases you. Do you know our service, no matter what it is, whether you hold the door for somebody or you call somebody, it pleases the Lord more than you know. The last point, we will be willing to give our lives for God. We will be willing to give our all for God. And whatever that means for you, because it's all different for each one of us. Philippians 2, 25-30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also. Think of what Epaphroditus did. He almost dies. We think he had some kind of a sickness. Whatever it was that he had, he almost lost his life. And he gets better. After traveling the six weeks I told you, and maybe the three months, he didn't retire. He didn't say, I'm out of here. I almost died. See you all. Thank you very much. Epaphroditus turns around, and now he's heading back. I don't know about you in ministry, if you've ever thought of quitting or just saying, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just, I'm done. And that's perfectly fine. And maybe God moves you to another ministry. But we need to keep going and being willing to live our lives in the strength of God, even if it's to the point that our lives are at risk. And, and let's face it, not many of us here are risking our lives for the Lord. We don't live in that kind of a world at this moment. But that may come. That certainly may come. The other thing, if you could just go to um, chapter 1, 
in Philippians, verse 27. And I'm going to sort of end on this, and I'm just going to read, read a song that I was meditating on. But in chapter 1, I, this really struck me. And I don't know if it, this will strike you as well. But do you know that you are called? If you are a Christian and you follow Jesus Christ, that you are called to have so much joy, and he will give you so much joy. But do you know that you are called to suffer? You may not suffer from without. You may not have what Paul had. You may not have people yelling and screaming at you or putting you in prison because of your faith. You may not have that. But trust me, there is an enemy, and he wants nothing more than to crush your soul. You are called to suffer. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, listen, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, each of us will suffer, but in that suffering, we need to draw nearer to God. Anything that you're going through, ask God to, that he would draw you closer to him and to live in those attributes that I spoke about, to live in who God is, just like they did. And trust me, this is a, a day by day by day by day thing. This is not something that you could just do, okay, every two months I'll take a survey of my Christian life and you have to live second by second, day by day in Christ. Alistair Begg said, you will never have, you will never have a better friend than one who points you to Christ. So as we're living our own lives in Christ, we need to be pointing other people to Christ. And in this upside down world that we're living in, like I said, it could be a simple thing. I was in Fresh Market the other day getting a birthday cake for somebody at work and a person came up to me and he said, I know you. And I said, I know you, but I don't know where. And we kind of looked at each other. And he started to talk to me and I did know him. I knew him. That he had come to the bank a couple of times, but he was telling me, I'm really, really, really afraid I'm going to die. And I thought he was kidding. He was not kidding. He said, I'm afraid. I'm literally afraid. And we had some words and talked to, and tried to encourage him about prayer and about God as best you can do when you're standing in the middle of a supermarket and there are people rushing past you. It's interesting where God places you to be able to tell people about him. But those are the things that God is calling us to do, to stand firm and say, it's okay. I remember my daughter Patricia saying one time when she was younger, I think I was worried about her going somewhere and doing something. And she was like, Dad, if I get hit by a bus, I'll be in heaven. And I'm thinking, ooh, bus, get hit by a bus, that's not, you know. But the heaven part. So we're not necessarily afraid about going to heaven. We're afraid how we get there. But God's in control of that as well. 
Who do you serve? So I was meditating on this song. Sometimes a song will just hit me and uh, driving in the car and you just hear it. Beautiful name. What, what a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, our God reigns. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Son, Jesus. What a powerful name it is. That we could stand and draw closer to You. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would pour us out on the faith of others. That You would help us to serve You with all our hearts, our souls, and our minds. That You would help us to genuinely care for other people. And that You would even have us be willing to give our whole lives for You. We love You in the powerful name of Jesus.